And what does that mean for our day-to-day lives? Let me read it for us, and we'll dive in. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. How do we find acceptance with God? This passage gives us three things that kind of develop that idea. And the first of those things is the idea of the complexity of sin. To understand how we can ever be made acceptable to God, first we have to understand the complexity of our sin. We see it in in a couple of different ways here. First of all, we see that sin is is part of our family history. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And this is what she said. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Uh, what, is, what is Eve saying here? I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. With a little study of the language, you start to see that uh, she's referring back to a promise that had been made by the Lord in Genesis 3, uh, verse 15, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That promise is the first hint that God gives after the fall that things will not always be left uh, in sin, but that he's going to send one, a redeemer, who will descend from the woman, who will rescue a man from his sin, who will crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent will bruise his heel. Um, And the first hint here of, 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 of Eve and Adam understanding that and following that is when Eve gives birth to Cain. She says... Presumably, maybe assuming that this is the one. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's, she's celebrating. Hey, maybe this is the one. Um, she couldn't be more wrong. She's gotten Cain and Abel, and their lives end up displaying these two 
lines, these two areas of, or, or lines of seed that are, are going to descend, one from the serpent and one from Eve. So the point of that is we, uh, from the time of Adam and Eve's sin, we've got a family history where we are descending either from the line of the serpent or from the line of the woman. Let's develop that a little bit more. Secondly, not only our family history, but our hearts contribute to the complexity of sin. You see that in Cain as things work out in verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brings to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Here you've got two brothers bringing outwardly a similar sacrifice. Cain, from what he was working in and what he knew, and Abel, from what he was working in and what he knew. They're bringing the, the first fruits of their sacrifices to the Lord. So why was one accepted and the other not accepted? We get clues, not only in this passage, but in others when we read back. Look at, listen to Psalm 51. This is what the Lord says. Psalm 51, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. What is the psalmist saying well, he's saying the same thing that is, is being seen as true here in Cain and Abel. That even though the guys come and they bring their sacrifices and they're outwardly uh, acceptable. They outwardly look good, look right. Something's wrong with one of their hearts. Cain is offering it with a heart that is not broken, is not contrite, is not one that is seeking the Lord. Abel who is showed to be the seed of the woman, trusts God's promise of provision and is leaning not on his own uh, good works, but is trusting in the promise that the Lord has given uh, to, to uh, redeem him. Cain, seed of the serpent, uh, uses God to serve his own selfish purposes. And it doesn't look, it is not evident to start with, but as you go on you see that that's where Cain's heart is as the sin continues to manifest itself in his life. And that's the third thing we see with the complexity of sin. It's not just our, that we're born into it. It's not just that it's at the root of our hearts, but we see sin's power in verses 6 and 7. As soon as Cain is, is called out by the Lord and it is it's shown that his heart is not right, this is what he says. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You see here sin's power, first of all, in that it crouches. It hides. It, 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 it makes itself small to conceal its, its severity, how, how uh, grotesque and, and, and bad it is. Um, so that Cain himself doesn't even see it. it it's making itself small. You see, secondly, that it... That it grows. It's not immediate. Uh, Cain's sin is not immediately obvious. It's not immediately um, bad. One person said it this way. First, with sin, first we do it, then it does us. 
C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, every day we're faced with thousands of choices. And whether we choose righteousness or our own selfishness and sin, it turns a little center part of us more and more into either a creature of heaven or into a creature of hell. Um, that's what we're saying here is that first we, we commit a sin, and that can, or we're faced with a choice that if we choose righteousness can be the, the ground for, for great victories in the future, or if we choose sin instead, it can be a slippery slope that ends up in disaster. Sin, it grows this way. It crouches and hides, but then once it's committed, it grows to rule over us. And that's the third thing is it does. It seeks to rule over us. It's powerful. And like the Lord is telling Cain here, hey, if you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to master you, to rule over you. We were talking in staff meeting about dealing with sin on Monday and it reminded me of uh, something that John Piper had said when he was speaking to a men's group and, and teaching the men's group about how uh, to deal with the struggle of lust. And he said it this way. He said when he is riding on the street and if he is to see a woman jogging, maybe not wearing much clothes, and his tempt- temptation is to lust after her, you know what he does instead? Instead of playing out a scenario of lust with this woman, he instead pictures her getting hit by a bus and then lying on the ground, bleeding to death, where he has the only the last words to say to this woman before she passes into eternity. And he pictures himself what he would share with her. And what that does is it takes him into a time of prayer for this woman that he has just seen and doesn't know, where he ends up praying for her salvation and for her family's salvation. Now, what is that? What is he doing? He is saying, sin is crouching at the door, and this desire is to master over me. I've got to fight. This is no small thing. This is, this is something that, even though immediately it will have no consequences, it will own me. It is that serious. It is that complex. It's at the, the center of my heart. And me acting out in this can be a, a slippery slope of it owning me um, not too far from now. That's what Cain is, that's what God is trying to warn Cain about here. He's giving him a chance to, to realize this sin and, re, and repent and turn uh, before sin rules over him. Uh, one commentator said this way, when you look at Cain's reaction, he says Cain is almost resentful at the Lord bringing these things to his attention. And he applies it to us and he says, you know, if we are resentful, if we are acting as if God is not treating us as our good lives deserve, we better be careful because that's the same attitude that Cain displays um, who showed himself to be a seed of the serpent. Sin is complex. I mean, we've got to understand that before we even get to the answer of how do we find acceptance to God. But then from there, number two, not only the complexity of sin, but we see here a provision of a remedy that God offers. You see a few things about God, and it's, it's really it's amazing. As complex as sin is, God is so much more complex in the positive way. Uh, you see verse 10, first of all, that God is the rescuer. He says, Cain, uh, starting in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? 
He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So here, Cain has found himself in a terrible position. The Almighty God has come and, and confronted him. And he knows what's going on. And the blood of his brother Abel, he said, is crying to me from the ground. But we know, by looking back, that we've got verses like Hebrews chapter 12, that the same God who hears the blood of Abel crying from the ground, which deserves punishment, is the same God that this is true of. And in Hebrews 12, let me read it for us. Um, well, I lost my place. Hebrews 12, 24 says this, that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author of Hebrews, the, the, the man that wrote this sermon to the Hebrews, is noticing something about the story of Cain and Abel. He's saying, listen, Abel's blood was crying out for justice, for punishment, for Cain, who had killed him. But just as loudly as that blood cries, the blood of Jesus that has taken the punishment that we deserve cries out all the more. And for those that trust in him, uh, they can find acceptance with the Lord. So first of all, God is the rescuer. But it doesn't just stop there. I think, I think one of the problems people have with Christianity is that we present God in, in a simplistic form and we just say, we stop at that he's the rescuer. And listen, that is, that is a glorious truth. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But God is so much more. He's also, look at here, the, the, the counselor. Look in verses 6 and 7 and 9 and 10. Um, you see God coming and reasoning with Cain, asking questions of a counselor. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And then look at 9 and 10. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I'm my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, what have you done? Does God not know? Is God coming to Cain and saying, I have no idea what's going on here. Will you tell me? Will you inform me? No, God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. What he wants Cain to see is Cain to see his own heart. He's asking these questions not so that the God can see, but so that Cain can see. One commentator said it this way. God is not simply concerned uh, with truth and justice, but with the sinner and the, the repentance and grace that, that the sinner can, can receive. God's counsel here, it starts off preventative. He starts off saying, Cain, don't do this. Look where it's headed. And then after the sin is, is, is committed, he asks questions that, that, show, that seek to show Cain his heart. And he, he, he works as a true counselor would, not just with truth, not just saying, hey, this is what you've done and this is your punishment. And, and not just with love that, that wouldn't speak the truth, but with both truth and love dealing with this one who has committed this grievous sin. So God is the rescuer. Through Jesus Christ, he provides the, 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 the rescue that a Cain would need because of his sin. But he's also the counselor who reasons with us, who's not con simply concerned with truth and justice, but with the sinner and with repentance and grace. And then lastly, God is the generous judge. 
God is the generous judge. He doesn't choose between justice and mercy, but he honors both. Um, You see that here with how he deals with Cain. Cain justly deserves punishment, and God gives him punishment. He says, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain, unlike his parents, who when they received their punishment, received it and moved on, Cain talks back. Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. It would have been enough for God to say, yep, and that's what you deserve. But that's not what he says. He says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So here, the sinner, the one who has has committed this sin against his brother and against God, receives mercy. He receives justice and punishment, but he receives mercy. Cain fights, even we would say, to force God to either accept him as he is or to cast him out and detest him. But God won't do either. Um, God exacts punishment and justice, but he provides mercy and rescue as well. And isn't that a picture of what he provides when he sends his son Jesus? He deals with the punishment and the justice side of things. He, he pours out the punishment that we deserve for our sin on his son Jesus on the cross. Dealing with that, not just overlooking it, but dealing with it really and truly. But also providing a rescue, providing mercy. That he, he pours it out on his son, not on us who deserve it. And provides a means for us to be accepted to God. Sin is complex. God has provided a remedy. And lastly, let's look quickly at the results of our response to this remedy. Because Cain doesn't respond to it rightly. He doesn't repent. He doesn't cry out for forgiveness. Even though he's given chance after chance after chance, he continues to go his own way. You see it in verse 16. It says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. And we read that and we could just say, oh, he left. But it's, it's worded specifically to, to give us a clue. Cain went where? Away from the presence of the Lord. Instead of falling on his knees and crying out for mercy from this God who was ready to give it, who was provided for it, he says, no, I'm going away from your presence. I've turned my back on you. You provided this, this, this shield for me to protect me, so I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. And you see just how bent Cain is on running away from the Lord. So you see insulation and alienation from God as part of his response. You also see the potential um, that responding to God in this way is for great evil and vengeance and, and violence. Listen quickly to verses 19 and then 23 and 24. Because this is Cain's descendants as it goes through. Verse 19, Lamech took two wives... The name of one was Ada, the name of the other is Zillah. Ada bore Jebel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said to his wives, 
Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Here a generation away of one who had turned his back on the Lord, gone his own way, even despite the offers for forgiveness, is his children who are being raised up in this, this, uh, this atmosphere. And now they're not just killing, they're singing songs about it. They're not just killing, they're killing a young man for just simply striking him. Potential for great evil, for vengefulness, for violence, um, if your heart is bent away from the Lord. And lastly, you see the results of a response of turning away from the Lord is a giving over that takes place. Despite the common good gifts. It's amazing to look through that line of descendants. You've got, um, you've got uh, Enoch building a city. You've got um, Lamech, who obviously has uh, a, uh, a bent for writing poetry, even if it's evil poetry. You've got uh, Jabel, who's the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So you've got development and cultivation here. You've got Jubal, who's the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe, who make music. Um, you've got uh, Tubal Cain, who's the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. You've got good things being developed by this sinful line of people. But you've got a giving over of them uh, to their own sin so that they're doing all these things in ways that serve themselves and that ultimately bring destruction instead of the good that God would have for them. It reminds me of Solomon's counsel to the ladies who were fighting over the baby. Do y'all remember that story? Two ladies come and one had rolled over in the night and killed her baby and was experiencing great loss. So she stole somebody else's baby. And they start fighting over it and they bring it to Solomon, the, the young king. And what does he say? Okay, give me a sword. We'll split it in two. We'll give one half to one and one half to the other. What does the one lady say? Yes. That's what needs to happen. And what does the other lady say? No way. Give it to the other one. Save this baby's life. And he says, that's the mother. That's the one that's living in righteousness. What Solomon is saying is the same thing that's going on here. There's been a giving over in that lady to sin. So that she would rather have a ba- another baby killed um, than do the right thing. Romans 1 speaks of that. That God gives us over. The ultimate punishment is to be given over to your sin. Basically to get what you've been asking for. And that should cause us pause to really look at what we are asking for. If it's something that is turned... uh, If we're asking for something with our backs turned against God, going in our own way, the worst thing that could happen is to get these things, but to get them without God. I was watching the Grammys the other night with my wife. Love music. I love music. And I was just thinking of this story as I was in preparation and watching these people sing these beautiful songs and then listening to the lyrics. And listening to them exalt themselves and sex and violence and all these things. And I say, God has given them over to it. They are loving music and they're good at it. But they're using it for all the wrong means. They're exalting themselves and worshiping themselves and praising themselves. And they're all empty inside. In the midst of all of it. 
It's Cain. He's chosen to turn their back on God, to run after his sin and selfishness. And God has, has given them over to it, even in the midst of these good gifts. It doesn't end there. Verse 26 says, uh, Adam, or 25, Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God appointed me for another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also was born a son and called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Here you've got the first organized worship. And it's coming from the line of the woman, not from the line of the serpent. God continuing to be faithful to his people, to raise up a line that will will live for him. Not perfectly. Abel wasn't without sin. Seth wasn't without sin. We'll see all that coming up, especially next week with the story of Noah. But what were they doing? They were coming to God not to be accepted from their own merit. Not, not to be accepted by what we can do, to live life, to, to, to gain approval for God. They were saying, God, I can't do this. I've got to trust in your promise, in your provision. Genesis 3.15, who we know was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. That's where you find acceptance with God. Um, how do you find acceptance with God? You know the complexity of sin and how dangerous it is. You see the provision of a remedy offered by the Almighty God specifically in his son, Jesus Christ, in a relationship with him. And then you respond, not by turning your your back towards him, but by embracing him and throwing yourself on his mercies. Let's pray uh, to end. God, be with us. We don't want to live our life constantly trying to earn acceptance in all these different ways, and especially with you. We know that's a crushing life. And we know we can't do it. We'll never measure up. We'll end up frustrated and vengeful and violent. Um, So God, keep us from that. Instead, help us today, um, maybe for the first time or maybe in in a new and fresh way, to cast ourselves on your mercy and your promise of provision. Thank you for sending Jesus, the seed of the woman that was promised all those many years before in Genesis 3. And it was... uh, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, of him living the life that we can't live and dying on the cross to take our punishment and then rising from the dead to defeat sin and death and giving us the the offer of eternal life as we place our trust in him, as we repent from our sins and throw ourselves on, on your mercy in a relationship with him. We pray that that's what we would do today and, and we'd find acceptance and through that freedom to enjoy life and to enjoy a relationship with you based out of love um, and not trying to gain your approval and acceptance because we've already got it in Jesus. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.